Good morning, everybody. Fifth episode of the second season. I just returned from the EANS Congress in Valencia. Subject was vascular. Loads of interesting talk and good to get motivated again to dive deeper into some particular subtopics. It was the first Congress we were having in a year and the fact that the organization managed to organize a coming together of residents from all over Europe is quite impressive. I met residents from Georgia, Lithuania, Germany, Slovenia, Austria and so on. Only the UK people didn't manage to get into Spain. We all know why. But in general we can say the atmosphere was positive and exuberant. We had four days of lectures, discussions and case presentations. Vascular is without doubt the most complex and dangerous subspeciality of neurosurgery. Probably that's why it attracts the most ambitious and dedicated people. You can understand the level of testosterone was reaching peak levels. From all subjects we discussed in these four days, one captured my special attention. Arteriovenous malformations, AVMs. AVMs are high-flow vascular structures lacking capillaries between arteries and veins. The parenchymal webs of dysplastic arteries shunt straight into the venous system and there is a lack of capillary bed. One lecture mentioned the controversy on why some patients develop edema and hemorrhage after resection of this lesion. Now let's try to understand this complication a bit better. Homeostasis can be found in every physiological process in our bodies. In our brain, autoregulation, AR from now on, maintains a constant cerebral blood flow. This reassures that our brain is protected against fluctuating blood pressure and doesn't have to undergo dangerous situations of ischemia or hyperemia, like too much blood. It sounds plausible that vascular lesions where you have an abnormal anatomy of arteries and veins, autoregulation is disturbed. The king of vascular surgery, Robert Spatzler, described the theory, the normal perfusion pressure breakthrough theory. From now on we call it NPPB. To explain why some patients deteriorate after a section of the AVM due to the edema or hemorrhage. In this short podcast, we will focus on why this theory is still standing, but we will also have a look at other theory. Probably, the, com- the process is too complex to conceptualize in one theory, but bringing everything together could make it smarter. The postoperative edema or bleeding typically arises in the very adjacent neuronal tissue, and so before we formulate answers and theories, Let's have a look at how an AVM works and influences its environment. The low resistance vessels of AVM shunt the bulk of blood and seem to act like a buffering system. That blood would otherwise go to surrounding brain tissue and leads for example to findings where normal brain tissue close to an AVM is supplied by arteries of chronic hypotension. So decreased perfusion pressure is common in the vascular territories irrigating neuronal tissue close to the AVM. But there must be another adaptive mechanism on hand 
as very few of these patients actually suffer from ischemic symptoms. As their perfusion pressure falls below the lower limit of the normal autoregulation curve, there must be a kind of adaptive autoregulatory displacement, which maintains the cerebral blood flow above the ischemic levels. This adaptive autoregulatory displacement may explain why only a minority of patients appear to suffer from ischemic neurological deficits, attributed to the Steele effect. So although the cerebral blood flow may be mildly reduced in hypotensive regions, function is maintained in these regions, and there is no increase in cerebral blood volume, which would be expected as a result if there was ischemia. All this suggests that autoregulation is not absent in the adjacent areas of the AVM, but that the lower limit is displaced to the left. This allows the areas of normal brain tissue to deal with the chronic hypotension. So, saying that autoregulation has been disrupted completely by the AVM is probably oversimplifying. Moreover, adaptive changes in autoregulation may despite the presence of the significant arterial hypotension, explain why the bleeding and the edema is only rarely encountered after the AVM resection. One last interesting thing that we need to know before going into special theories is that the capacity for the autoregulation driven vasodilatation is much bigger than for vasoconstriction, so the brain deals better with lower blood pressure than with higher blood pressure. And this may explain why the brain seems to be able to deal pretty well with the effects of the ABM. Now let's talk about theories that try to explain the edema and the hemorrhage after the ABM resection. First, let's have a look at the theory that Spetzer proposed, the normal perfusion pressure breakthrough theory. This starts from the idea that autoregulation is abolished. AVMs don't have resistance to flow, contrary to the small vessels with high resistance in the surrounding hemisphere. This results in chronic hypertension and a steel effect. The AVM shunts or steals blood from neighbor neurons. This causes the surrounding vessels to be chronically dilated and leads to a loss of autoregulation. Following a resection of the AVM, blood flow suddenly increases to these chronically dilated vessels. As autoregulation is dysfunctional, it can't increase the resistance to protect the dilated capillaries, and overflowing blood causes the edema or hemorrhage. Some studies confirmed this theory and saw how the autoregulation was impaired in response to hyperventilation and other tests. Other studies described contradicting findings with intact vasoreactivity. Young et al. demonstrated, both in patients with and without cerebral edema or hemorrhage, an improved perfusion in the ipsilateral hemisphere after the AVM resection, but no change in cerebral blood flow after inducing hypertension. All this suggests normal autoregulation. Another finding that shows how complex the problem actually is, is the fact that even though the edema or hemorrhage occurs adjacent to the resected AVM, 
the worst vascular skill effect occurs 2 to 4 cm distal to the AVM. The second theory, the occlusive hyperemia theory, was proposed by L. Rotham et al. in 1993 and involved two mechanisms. First of all, the stagnation of arterial flow in AVM feeders and their branches to normal brain. Second, the obstruction of the draining veins from the adjacent normal brain. So here, the idea is more that it's the stagnation that is the problem. Due to the combination of vessel remodeling after surgery, arterial vasoconstriction and venous drainage anomalies, blood flow is obstructed and causes the edema. Typical risk factors for hyperemia are preoperative, the evidence of steel, AVMs in a watershed zone, large and high flow AVMs, long and tortuous feeders, and of course pre-existing venous anomalies. But as always with nice theories, also there are some findings that contradict the idea. One has found that the arterial stagnation caused maybe a reduction in flow velocity, but not a reduction in blood flow, and even higher, level, higher levels of oxygenation are found in postoperative patients. So again, the problem is more complicated than we think and not so easy to explain. Could we prevent this complication? Spatula suggested two management strategies. He suggested a gradual increase in perfusion to the ischemic hemisphere by staged embolization of the feeding artery. Another thing he used was the lowering of the blood pressure after the surgical AVM resection. The first strategy, the staged embolization, is still used today, the latter isn't anymore, and maintaining a constant blood pressure during and after the resection is now recommended. When you are confronted with a postoperative hemorrhage, always consider a residual AVM. That's why intra and or postoperative cerebral angiography is always recommended. While intraoperative use of indo Indocycine green angiography is less valuable. This is a technique that we actually use for um, controlling if an aneurysm is well clipped. It is for sure not so good for AVMs and for sure not if they are deep seated. Restoration of the autoregulation by hyperventilation using hyperoxia or working with nitric oxide may be interesting theory but haven't proven their value in patients. The authors conclude that it may well be that there are two or even more pathways at work. Determining which is most likely at work is still not a trivial matter. Further work is needed at both the physiological level and at the microenvironment level to determine a rational strategy for anticipating and treating these NPPV-like reactions. Thank you for listening and I uh, hope to he hear from you soon. Goodbye.